Good morning, Kale. It's Mom, and I just want to know why you want to know all this stuff. So, Dad, uh, apparently you have a half-brother. You want to know what part of my research is challenging? Tracing my family's names through the Atlantic slave trade. Family tree is just a bunch of names and dates. Welcome to the Maple Family Treehouse. I'm your host, Kale, broadcasting from within the great circle of lakes that fall under the dish with one spoon wampum treaty, an agreement to peacefully share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. The Ojibwa, Ottawa, Potawatomi make up the Three Fires Confederacy who shared and continue to share this land. Keep the peace, sharing, and caring going for as long as our rivers flow, the sun shines, and the grass grows, as promised. In this podcast, I'm researching my family history, and in the process, learning a thing or two about Canada, the process of reconciliation, and my role as a white guy who needs to do anti-racist work. I would love for you to come along as I climb my family tree. When I first began researching my family history, I envisioned how researching my ancestors would make me feel more connected, whole, with a greater sense of belonging. And that is the case most of the time. It's easy to approach any history with romantic notions, but especially stories about family. And without a doubt, we love to record our greatest achievements, our happiest times. A scroll through my social media posts will attest to the fact. So it came as a surprise when the stories of some of my ancestors were not only far from flattering, but scary. It is at this point that I caution listeners. I will be describing the details of an episode of domestic violence in my family. I am doing so to understand why my family came to Canada and to appreciate my own relationship to this land. Please remember the mission here. As healthy, healed people, we can better contribute to peace, caring, and sharing. It was difficult putting this story together for many reasons. For example, there are four successive generations of fathers and sons with the name Edward Tallhurst in my family. And to make it extra interesting, the third generation includes two half-brothers with the same name, born 10 years apart. Sorting the details out through documents was a tedious task. I'm not even sure I got it right in the end. What I am sure of, though, is that amidst a chaotic family life, my great-great-grandfather, young Edward Tallhurst III, emigrated to London, Ontario, Canada to make a new life for himself 
and I think he did a pretty good job. I often wonder about the connection, London, England to London, Ontario. Why London, Ontario? Did it provide a sense of familiarity, maybe even safety? If you're leaving everything behind to start a new life in a faraway country, isn't that the hope? To create a dramatic break from the past? I've often thought about what it would take for me to relocate far from my current home and start over. My primary concern would be language, economic opportunities, and a culture that resonates with my own existing values. These are my basic requirements for relocating because I could work and form new connections easily. Even with the basics in place, it would take a lot for me to pick up and start a new life somewhere else. But that is exactly what my great-great-grandfather did. Perhaps home wasn't that great. Young Edward Tallhurst III was born in England in 1846. His father, my three greats grandfather, we will call him Ed Jr., was a busy man. There are many marriage records with his name that also correspond to his age in the year and given locations, and numerous children followed each one of those marriages. Some of the children in marriages appear to overlap or maybe break off and restart again. At first, this collage of women and children that appeared to be associated with the name Edward Thomas Tallhurst Jr. did not make sense until I came across an article in a newspaper that provided a window into his life. Most likely one of the worst days of his life, but a window nonetheless. My great-great-grandfather, young Edward, was born on May 17, 1846. He was, as far as I can tell, the eighth child his father had, and there were nine more to come. It is possible that my great-great-grandfather lived with his two younger brothers, William and Joseph, and at times their mother, Elizabeth Tinsley. In the year 1860, young Edward was celebrating his 14th birthday. In such a chaotic context, you might think that Edward's birthday could easily get lost in the shuffle. As it turns out, Edward Jr.'s violent temper would overshadow any birthday celebration that might have been planned. On May 17, 1860, his father would be arrested for stabbing his wife. Emily Huckstep. I'm going to read to you a news article published on May 26th, 1860, that covers the details of the court proceedings associated to the stabbing.
Edward Tallhurst, laborer, was charged with stabbing and wounding his wife on the 17th last. The prisoner's wife deposed that she lived in Bedford Row, Maidstone, and had been married to prisoner for 14 years. On Thursday morning last, she got the prisoner's breakfast ready and then proceeded back upstairs to bed again, as she was unwell. The prisoner called her downstairs. When she went, he then asked her to cut him some food. She said, do it yourself, it's all ready. A quarrel then ensued in which he abused her and said, you blank, I will stab you in the heart. The prisoner then aimed to blow at her with a knife. When she put her hand up to prevent it from entering her side and the knife went through her hand, she believed if she had not put up her hand, she would have received it in her body. On prisoner seeing what he had done, he said, quote unquote, oh dear. He then ran for assistance and fetched two of their neighbors. Witness said they had previously lived unhappily together, but nothing had occurred that morning which would have irritated him. At this point in the article, it appears, the text appears to switch to Ed Jr. cross-examining a witness, which appears to be his wife, Emily Huckstep. Here it is. Prisoner, did I say I would run the knife into your heart? Witness, yes. Prisoner, what caused the quarrel? Witness, jealousy. Mr. Ferber, house surgeon to the West Kent Infirmary, was here called and stated that he found on the back of the hand a very severe wound which had been inflicted by an instrument that had entered the back part of the hand in a horizontal position through the palm of the hand. The wound was such as it might be caused by a knife like the one that was produced, and it must have required great force to have inflicted it. He had no doubt that if the woman had not put up her hand to ward off the blow, the wound would have been much more serious. It was a very bad wound as the tendons and the muscles were all lacerated and it was nearly two hours before he could even succeed in stopping the bleeding. Lavinia Stevens said she lived near the prisoner and on Thursday morning last, he came to her house and said, quote unquote, for God's sakes, Mrs. Stevens, come down to my house. And on being questioned by the witness, he said he had cut his wife with a knife. On going to the house shortly afterwards, she saw the wound on the woman's hand as described. The prisoner, on being apprehended by Police Sergeant Hills, said that, quote unquote, he did not mean to do it. He had a knife in his hand while eating a piece of bread and cheese. He told his wife that if she did not be quiet, he would stick it in her. And she put out her hand and he put the knife forward, and that was how she got cut. The prisoner, who was committed for trial, said that, quote unquote, that his wife had behaved very badly to him and told him that he would not do anything more for him. He had seen her at the nag's head between 11 and 12 o'clock at night, sitting in the company of a man who had his arm around her waist. And on asking her to go home, she said she should not until she liked. When at home, she often sat in the man's lap and then asked him how he liked that. The published court record 
simply ends like that. The court document I obtained indicates that Ed Jr. was not found guilty. A later publication on Saturday, August the 4th, 1860, reads as follows. Edward Tallhurst, 28, laborer, was indicted for cutting and wounding Emily Tallhurst, his wife, at Maidstone on the 17th of May. Mr. Francis was for the prosecution, and Mr. Ripton defended the prisoner. The prosecutrix said she had been married to the prisoner for 14 years. On the morning of the 17th of May, when the prisoner came home to his breakfast, she was upstairs. He called her down and asked her to cut him some food. She said, it's all ready, cut it yourself. He took up the knife to cut some bread and cheese and threatened to stab her in the heart with it. He then made a movement as if he intended to stab her. When she put up her hand to ward off the blow, her hand was then cut and bled very much. Prisoner, on seeing this, said, oh dear, run for assistance. He admitted that he had inflicted the wound on her hand, but said it was by accident. Sergeant Hills of the Maidstone Police said on apprehending the prisoner and telling him the charge, he replied, I was sitting and eating some bread and cheese with a knife. My wife was quarreling with me, and I told her if she did not hold her tongue, I would stick it into her. I moved my hand, and when she put hers up, it was then cut. The learned judge said that he was afraid that the wife had rather stretched the truth in her desire to screen her husband, but the jury could not find him guilty on the evidence adduced, and the prisoner was consequently acquitted. His lordship, hoping it would be a warning to him in the future. There is so much that is wrong with this situation that I don't even know where to begin. These two publications reveal so much about the layers of physical, social, emotional, and psychological trauma. The blatant sexism in the family, in the courtroom, and even in the media coverage is hopefully obvious to the listener. I couldn't imagine how this relationship could have possibly resumed. There is no record of any children after 1860. Perhaps these news articles put an abrupt end to Ed Jr.'s appeal to the ladies. I certainly hope so. A census in 1861, one year after the stabbing, showed that young Edward and his two brothers were staying with a family by the name of Clark. And I'm assuming here that the Clarks are friends with my three greats grandmother, Elizabeth Ann Tinsley, the boy's mother, who, as it happened, settled just north of London, Ontario, with a man by the name of Thomas Clark. File that one for a later episode. Edward is still 14 years old, according to the 1861 census. He was apprenticing to be a quote-unquote engine smith. Within the span of the next decade, he moved to Detroit, Michigan in the United States for a brief period before settling in the area of London, Ontario, Canada, where he worked as a blacksmith. He married Emma Downing, my great-great-grandmother, in 1889. They had five children together. One of those children was Emma Georgina Tallhurst, my great-grandmother. Later in his career, it seems as though he made his way back to Windsor. 
the industry here, automobile manufacturing, seemed to be a good fit for his talents. His son Henry's family settled in Michigan, and Emma Georgina Tallhurst, my great-grandmother, stayed in London. Edward settled in Windsor not only for work, but remained here into retirement until he passed away at the age of 80 years old. He lived a few blocks from where I live now. In the introduction to each show and in a previous episode, I mentioned Windsor as a great meeting place. It's no surprise to me that Windsor seems to have served the same function for my great-great-grandfather as well. It's two hours from London and right across the border from the US. His children were settled and he centered himself among them for easy contact. Edward came to Canada for a new life and he appears to have created it. I am rooted to the land in this very neighborhood and I know how and why now. And in the spirit of keeping the peace, sharing and caring going, I'm providing links in the show notes. There's four important ones that I want you to know about. One is Shelter Safe. It's a hub where women can find local supports when experiencing domestic violence. Two, a link to a website called meninhealing.ca that offers supports specific to men. Thirdly, the Ending Violence Association of Canada. This organization addresses the national problem of gender-based violence. And lastly, the White Ribbon Campaign, addressing the changes men need to make to end gender-based violence. You can find these links at maplefamilytreehouse.com. Oh, hey, before you go, I want you to meet Emma Georgina Tallhurst, otherwise known as Grams. I only picture Grams one way, gray hair in a loose windblown bun, wearing a delicately flowered dress paired with lace-up work boots, riding a tractor. She was a farm girl through and through. She ran a roadside corn stand for decades. And I'm totally unbiased when I say she grew the tastiest corn in London. Ask anyone who bought corn from her and they'll tell you. My most vivid memory and window into her life was when I camped out in her yard one summer. It was a big family gathering and my family pitched a tent in her yard for the weekend. It was the weekend that I realized the skills and talent involved in living off grid. Graham's farm was built before the grid existed. We used an outhouse, hand washed clothes, and cooked outside whenever possible. And her cat, Ginger, wasn't just a pet, it was a mouser. She was a tiny woman, but from where I stood, which was about up to her knee, she was a giant who could do anything or would at least try. And anytime I'm looking for some grit to get through the daily grind, she's my inspiration. Thank you for listening to the Maple Family Treehouse. If you like the Maple Family Treehouse and the work that we do here, please subscribe on the platforms where you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. Also, if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can contact us at maplefamilytreehouse at gmail.com. Cheers.